Uh, good morning. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the high school students that sits back there on Sundays. And uh, today I'll be reading out of Philippians uh, chapter 1, 12 through 21. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole place, palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courage, courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some per- preach God out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for it know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, I will turn out for the deliverance. I eagerly expect those and hope that I will go and not be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now no one, as always, Christ will be exalted for in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live in Christ is to die and is to gain. Well, good morning. Oh, it's great to see you all this morning, Jeremiah. Thank you. I love seeing our young men uh, read God's word from the pulpit, don't you? Yeah. Well, um, if you didn't already open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 while Jeremiah was reading, would you mind doing that right now? And while you do that, I just want to share something that God did for me a couple of weeks ago because he just filled me up with a love for all of you. And it was in late August, and Michelle and I had just finished listening to Russ Cantu's excellent message during the first service. But uh, I had a search committee meeting after the second service, so I had a little bit of time on my hands, and I decided to go around and just experience some of the many things that happen here on a Sunday morning. And if your experience here at Central is driving into the parking lot and walking into the sanctuary and then back out to the parking lot... You may not know all the different things that happen here on a Sunday, but there's a lot that happens. And Kristen was just talking about some of that. But I first went over to the infants in the two and three year old room. And as I walked in, there was Amaya Botter, and she was holding Huxton, Scott's one year old son. And it was just so sweet seeing one generation ministering to the next generation. And then I walked over to the multi-purpose room. This is when the other classrooms were being uh, worked on. And Sherry Daggett was in the multi-purpose room. Now, Sherry is the granddaughter of the founder of Central. And she was running the Kids Path class, first through fifth grade. And as I walked in, she was asking one of the seven-year-old girls to pray over Mark, who is one of our college-aged volunteers, who was headed off to college. And it was so amazing listening to this little girl pray for Mark and thank him for his service and asking God to bless his time at college. It just filled me up. Then I went over to the four and five-year-old class and enjoyed as they watched uh, a video about God and were learning about Jesus and how he works in our lives. And then finally, I walked over to the middle school class where I sat down for a couple of minutes and experienced the uh, teaching of Kyle and Kayla and Pat Regan as they walked our middle schoolers through a really fruitful discussion of James chapter 1. 
And all of this while Russ Cantu, uh, who grew up here at Central, and by all accounts was something of a troublemaker, uh, was in this pulpit preaching a God-honoring message. And it just reminded me that God has been so good to Central throughout the generations and for the last nearly 80 years now. And God is still at work here at Central today. And I love seeing how God has built this church one person at a time, one family at a time, for such an intentional purpose of spreading the gospel here in San Jose and around the world. And um, it's so none of you are here this morning by accident. Every single one of you is here for a divine encounter with God. And whether you have been sitting in this congregation for 80 years like Velti Jessup, or this morning is your very first Sunday at Central, we want you to know that God loves you and that this is a church that loves God. Well, my name is Richard Rock, and I, it is my huge privilege this morning to be able to bring you God's Word. And if you are, if this is your first Sunday here at Central, then we are delighted that you've chosen to uh, worship with us this morning and to uh, study God's Word together with us this morning. And I'd like to just pray over our time of study. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the way that you work in our lives. I'm grateful, Lord, for the fact that every person here is here by your um, divine appointment. Lord, and that you plan to do something great today. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have built this church one person at a time and one family at a time. And Lord, this morning we expectantly come before you. And Lord, as we study your word, we just ask that you would open up in our minds and knowledge of the truth. Because your word tells us that when we study your truth, that we are transformed. And we ask for that transformation this morning, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, welcome back. And you know that we are in week two of our six-week series on the book of Philippians. And as we go through this book of Philippians uh, in this series, we really want to be looking for ways that this book calls us to experience joy. And last week, Gary kicked off this series by looking at the first 11 verses in uh, the book of Philippians, and he really focused a big part of his sermon on that verse 6, which is this huge promise where God says that he will complete a good work that he has started in you. And um, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, then that is a huge promise for you, because what it means is that no matter where you are at in your relationship with God right now, that God is not done with you, that he is working on you, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so uh, we know a couple of things about God's purposes. First, his purposes always include bringing glory to himself, and they also include bringing joy to us. And what this means is that in a very real way, you are being completed for joy. Now, we may not be completed yet, and our joy isn't completed yet, but that's what's coming, and that's pretty cool. That's, that's, a, that's a big promise for each of us. Now, this morning, what we're going to look at are some of the ways that this book also tells us that God encourages us for joy. And um, we want to be encouraged for joy because we want to be able to experience joy in all things and in all circumstances. And if you are sitting here this morning and you're not experiencing much joy in your life, um, I want to encourage you because God loves you 
And it is actually God's will that we all experience joy in our lives. Not just experience joy, but that we experience much joy. And sometimes this can seem challenging because a lot of times we confuse joy with just an emotional response to our circumstances. But joy is so much more than that. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that God develops in us. And it is something that as we... uh, It's a reflection of our inner being and our relationship with God... And as we learn how to trust God more and more, we can experience greater and greater peace and joy in our lives. And I'm excited to teach on this this morning because God started laying some of these verses on me over the summer. And, uh, and so I can't wait to get into those verses. But I'm also reminded of, by Paul in Titus that when we, are, uh, when we further our knowledge of the truth of God— that uh, we will be transformed, that we will become more godly. And so my prayer for you this morning is that by looking at God's word, you can be transformed to experience more joy in your life. So last week, Gary taught that um, Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Philippians from jail. Now, uh, Paul was essentially a religious and political prisoner in the Roman Empire because of his work to uh, to really promote the gospel, to, uh, to spread the gospel message. And I don't know about you, but if I was unjustly in prison, it probably would bring out the worst in me, right? I would be loudly proclaiming my innocence, demanding my freedom, demanding justice. But Paul really responded very differently. Paul recognized, and he was acutely aware of the fact that In this moment, his attitude and actions during this time of testing would speak more loudly than any sermon he had ever preached. And so he, um, despite the the, the beatings and the chains and the injustice of it all, he really wanted to conduct himself in a way that properly represented the power of Jesus Christ in his life. And Paul had learned through many experiences that he needed to just keep his focus on Jesus. He had learned that that God was able to take terrible circumstances, difficult challenges in his life, even evil things that had been done to him, and that God was able to work all of those things for good every time. And so we see Paul write in verse 12, he says, all these things that have happened to me, the beatings, the chains, the, the injustice of it all, all these things that have happened to me have only served to advance the gospel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Paul is able to look straight through his own sufferings and look to see how God is at work. And Paul isn't just exaggerating here. I mean, when you look at what Paul was doing while he was in prison, we see that he is... Um, well, he's writing a lot of letters to a lot of different churches, encouraging them, for one thing. And three of those letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians, all became a part of the Bible. And so in a very real way, Paul was writing the Bible while he was in prison. And we also know that Paul was so effective at sharing the gospel message about what Jesus had done for him and for us that many of his jailers came to know Jesus, their whole, their whole families were saved, and new churches were started. You know, Paul really was learning um, time and time again what Gary taught a few weeks ago, that Jesus is always with us in the thick darkness. And because Paul understood this so well, 
he was able to live out a peace and a joy in his life that was very noticeable to everyone around him. So noticeable that he looked different than other people. And because everyone knew that Paul was in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ, guess who got credit for Paul's peace and joy that he was able to show? Jesus did. Now, I know many of you in this congregation have gone through some pretty tough times, some hard circumstances, some things that none of us would want to go through. And I have seen, as many of you have gone through those circumstances with a courage and a strength that can only come from God. I have seen that peace and joy that just surpasses human understanding as you lean into God in those difficult moments. And you need to know that just like people noticed Paul, we see your strength and your joy in the Lord as well. You serve as an encouragement for all of us. And you serve as a reminder to the rest of us that we need to be asking the question as well, what will people see in me when I am going through a difficult trial? Will they see a peace, a joy that can only be explained by the power of Jesus Christ in me? Or will they see doubt and anxiety or bitterness? This is important because what we're talking about here is really our witness to the world. We're talking about what we believe. And what we believe is most visible to the rest of the world when we're going through times of testing. Well, Paul believed that he served a God that could meet every need that he had, especially in times of testing and difficulty. When we look at verses 20 and 21, Paul talks about his confidence. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Listen again to how Paul starts verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. What was it that Paul was eagerly expecting here. He was eagerly expecting that he would have the courage to exalt Jesus Christ in his life by the way that he lived. He eagerly expected that he wouldn't do those things that, might, that he might be ashamed of or that would bring shame on the name of Jesus. But even as you read this verse, can't you hear in his voice just a little bit of concern about whether or not he can carry this out. I mean, he doesn't doubt God. He eagerly expects God. But there just sounds to be that, that concern about whether or not he can do his part of it. It reminds me of the father who brings his son to Jesus. And his son is, is demon-possessed. And he says, Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus says, do you believe? And the father says, I believe. And in the very same breath, he says, help my unbelief. Like, when I read this verse from Paul, I hear somebody who's like, God, I know you can give me the courage. Please, God, give me the courage. Paul was desperate 
that he would not do anything that he was ashamed of, but he was equally passionate that he would exalt Christ in all the ways that he lived out his Jesus-following life. So how did Paul do in this regard? Well, by Paul's own words, not always that good. (laughs) If you turn to Romans chapter 7, about two-thirds of the way down in this chapter, we see Paul talking about the struggles that he has. And he expresses some big frustrations with his life. He says, I barely even understand myself at times. He says, you know, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. Sound familiar? <laughs> he says, I really do desire to do good things. So do I. But I just can't seem to carry that out all the time. Neither can I. As we get to the bottom of chapter 7, in the second to last verse, Paul says, who can rescue me from this body? Because he recognizes that it's his sinful nature that he, that he can't do all these things that he wants to. So he says, who can rescue me from this body that just can't seem to get it right? And then he answers his own question in the final verse. He says, thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul realized that he couldn't get it right in his own strength, that it was only because of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross that he has any hope at all, right? So was it the case that once Paul realized that it was through Jesus that he was saved, that suddenly he began living a sinless life that was God-honoring and Christ-exalting every day, all day? No, it doesn't work that way either, right? Unfortunately, Just because we acknowledge God, just because we accept Jesus as our Savior, doesn't mean that we suddenly start living a sinless life. But what it does mean is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross who died for our sins, that we can go before the Father and we can say, God, forgive me and give me strength to keep going. And we can have the confidence that God will always be there, that he will pick us up, dust us off, give us the strength and the courage to keep on going. And you know, God is honored and Christ is exalted in the trying and the failing and the trying again because we trust that God will give us the strength and the courage. And you know what? We need that strength and courage because let's face it, some of the things that we are going through are just simply too big for us. They are not small problems. They're big challenges. And we need a big God for those. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4 when he is uh, talking about Abraham. And Abraham had been promised by God that he and Sarah were going to have a baby boy. The only problem was that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. So this wasn't just a problem. This was an impossibility as far as Abraham was concerned. But listen to what Paul writes in verse 19 about what Abraham did. Paul writes, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. I mean, Abraham looked the impossibility of his situation full in the face with confidence. 
Because he knew that if God promises something, God can do it. He knew that his God was big enough to accomplish anything. And that by acknowledging the impossibility of it and trusting in God, that his faith would be strengthened and that God would get glory from our trusting in him. Paul had a pretty impossible situation as well. He was in prison for treason against the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. But Paul knew that no matter how big his problems looked, his God was bigger. Two years ago, I took the family to the Grand Canyon. Has anyone been? Yes. It's amazing. I mean, it is one of the seven wonders of the world for very good reason. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't go without just being impressed by this. And, and you also can't walk up to the edge of the rim of the canyon and look down a mile to the canyon floor. You can't look across the vast space of the gorge or see the colors or understand the magnificence of this without feeling just a little bit smaller. You feel just a little less significant when you're standing next to something as big as the Grand Canyon. It really brings things into perspective. Paul recognized that his problems were the same way. They might look big to him, but compared to our God, they aren't. Our God created the Grand Canyon. Our God created the whole universe, and he didn't even have to work very hard. He just breathed it out, right? Our God can do anything. Our God controls the winds and the waves, and he commands where the spirits go. He heals the sick. He frees the captives. He raises the dead to life. He knows everything. He has never caught off guard. He has never surprised, and he loves you supremely. Paul knew this deep down, and because of that, he was able to live a life that just expressed a peace and a joy that could only be explained by Jesus. And in that living out of that peace-filled, joy-filled life, God was glorified. Jesus was exalted. Brothers and sisters were encouraged, and his enemies were utterly mystified. I don't know every story that is in this room this morning. I know some of your stories. I know that all of us go through difficult challenges from time to time. That we are faced with big things in our lives that sometimes just feel like they overwhelm us. Maybe it's at work or at school. Maybe it's in our friendships or our marriages, our relationships with our children. Maybe there are health issues. There are many things that can come into our lives that can be, seem big and challenging. God wants you to know that he loves you. 
He wants you to know that it is his desire that as he is working in you, as he is completing you, that he is also encouraging you for joy, that he wants you to experience joy in big, powerful ways in your life, that it is his will that you experience much joy, that that is why he has given us his church and why he has given us his promises. Let's look at two ways that God has given us courage and, and how he does that, following up on what Paul said in verse 20 about why he was so eagerly, um, why he so eagerly expected that God would, inc- would cur- and give, him, give him courage. The first thing we see is that God gives us tr- courage through his church. In fact, Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he wrote it to the entire church in Philippi because he wanted to acknowledge that they had, um, they had all been responsible for encouraging him while he was in prison. In fact, even though we're only 20 verses into the book of Philippians, we see Paul um, thanking and acknowledging the church in verses 3, 5, 7, 14, and 19. He says in um, verse 3, he says, I can't even think of you, church, without thanking you, thanking God for your partnership from the first day until now in the gospel. He acknowledges the church for being there to um, uh, give him both spiritual and emotional support. And he says that their prayers have been important to him, knowing that they have been, that he's not alone is important to him. And the New Testament is filled with um, uh, reminders that as a church body, we should be encouraging one another, that we should be building each other up, that we should be working together. And this is why, as a church body, we meet on Sundays, why we meet in our life groups, why we meet in over coffee, and why we meet in the Bible app, so that we can encourage each other. And you know what? Sometimes just showing up is an encouragement. You remember when uh, at the top of the sermon I was talking about how encouraged I was a couple of months ago when I was walking around and just being around you guys encouraged me. My love being in here and praying with you and hearing you sing. And when you don't show up, I miss out on your encouragement. You miss out on being able to encourage your brothers and sisters, but you also be, you miss out on the opportunity to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.24, he says, we're supposed to work together for our joy. We've seen this play out just recently. I mean, what was it, 150 women at the women's breakfast two weeks in, weekends ago? How much joy was there? We saw it in the secret church where there were 80 or more of us at the secret church brunch afterwards, when we work together, we experience that joy because God has given us um, the church in order to encourage us in our joy. But God also gives us his promises. He gives us his promises uh, like the very big one that Gary talked about last week where he says in verse 6, where God says in verse 6, I'm going to complete the good work that I've started in you. Like that promise alone is worth checking out at least once a week. In verse 11, we see that 
We're given the promise that it is through Jesus Christ that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. And this fruit of righteousness is the righteousness that gives us the permission to come before a holy God and to ask for the strength to continue going forward. God wants you to know that he has given you his word and his promises and his church for your encouragement. He wants you to know that you can eagerly expect and hope that when you come before him, he will give you that strength and courage for whatever you are facing. And he wants you to know that Jesus is always with you in the thick darkness. And that even though sin has made a mess of this world, that our God is a master at taking messy things and making them beautiful. We're going to close in a couple of minutes, but before we do, I want to come back to one thing. And uh, God laid verse 20 on my heart over the summer. But I have to tell you, when I read it the first time, I, I kind of got hung up. Because if you read verse 20, how it starts is, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. And I have to tell you, whenever I come across a word like shame or ashamed, like there's this movie that starts playing in my head. Maybe you guys know the movie I'm talking about too. It's the movie that plays back to me all the things I've done that I am ashamed of. Things I've done in the past, things I'm still doing. And it kind of hangs me up. It's hard to keep reading sometimes. And what I want to do is stop and say, well, obviously, I need to work harder to stop doing those things. And we should try to stop doing those things. But what Paul has recognized here and he talks about is that we can't do it in our own strength. It is through the power of Jesus Christ that we have been saved, and it is through the power of Jesus Christ that we have the right to come before the God of the universe, and it is through Jesus Christ that we have the right to ask for the courage and the strength to keep on going, but we can never do it in our own strength. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. What shame was Jesus bearing? It wasn't his own shame. Jesus had never done anything wrong. The shame that Jesus was bearing on the cross was my shame and Paul's shame, your shame. The reason Paul can so confidently say that I will in no way be ashamed is simply because Jesus took all that shame on himself for us. And it is because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross that we can have a future in eternity with God, enjoying the peace and the joy that God desires for us. And this is good news. Now this morning as we, as we do close, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down.
And we're going to, we don't always close with prayer um, after the message, but this morning we want to give you an opportunity to pray. And I just want to encourage all of you that if there is something that you have been wrestling with in your life, if there is a shame that you can't shake because you've been trying to do it in your own power, but this morning you recognize that if you want to be free of that burden, if you want to be free of the shame, that casting it before the cross and saying, Jesus, thank you for enduring my shame so that I can spend eternity with you, we want to have you come down and pray with one of our prayer partners this morning. Or maybe this morning you have been going through a time of testing and trial that hasn't just lasted weeks, but maybe it's months or years, and you feel really empty. You feel tired. You feel thin. God wants to encourage you with your brothers and sisters and with his promises, and we invite you to come down and pray to be filled up. Or maybe this morning you're sitting here and you realize that this peace and the joy, Jesus bearing my shame, I'm not there yet because I haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe this is the morning that you make that decision that changes your eternity forever. We would love to pray. In fact, we were praying this morning in the prayer room that if you are struggling with that decision, that you might come forward. Whatever it is that you need prayer about this morning, don't be afraid to come down. Don't worry that people are going to look at you. Don't be ashamed because Jesus took all of our shame so that we could spend eternity with him. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the work that your son did on the cross. Lord, we can't do it without you. We can't do it without the sacrifice that your son gave, that it is because of his sacrifice that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be clothed in righteousness, that we can come before you and ask for the courage and the strength to keep on going. Lord, thank you for making a provision for our shame and for our sin. Lord, we love you. And we just ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.